0: Boy, so last week was the Super Bowl. If you're a car race fan, this week is the Daytona 500, which is the Super Bowl of racing. And if you had to follow me here today and know what happened, you got to see a road course. Our car broke down the way here. So at about quarter to seven or quarter to eight, I don't know, I don't wanna let you know how fast I was going, we were still in Newmarket. We did make it here, um, two minutes late. And my wife, I wanna thank her because we had plans to have shirts going on as I walked through the parking lot. Thankfully, we were a little earlier, but wow, my heart is still going. I'm not sure I can preach at this level of adrenaline. We're here, we made it. It was better than Thursday night, but anyway. If I were to turn in this writing that I'm gonna read to you as a school project, boy would I fail. If I wrote this down and made it my science project or explanation, I wouldn't get a good grade. If this was my review of a portion of history, I would be in trouble. But if I was a politician, this would be the best answer no answer I could ever give. When I read this, it's going to sound like I'm choosing both sides at the same time in the fear of offending somebody. I'll actually be saying a lot of stuff with passion, but actually saying nothing. Instead of thinking of John writing this, so this is just for fun, let's pretend we're hearing a politician speaking out of both sides of his mouth, and then think to yourselves, could John be doing this? So I'm going to read to you John 2, 1 John, sorry, 2, 7, and 8. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new commandment, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, Yet I'm writing you a new commandment. Its truth is seen in him and you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. I read this and I think politics. I'm writing you a new command, but I'm actually writing you an old command. So for all the people who are into the new commands, this is cool. For those of you who like the old commands, it's okay too because it's really an old command. It is a very potentially confusing part of Scripture. But at the same time, I think it's a great way of seeing that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That when God does something, even though the system around it may be odd or different, and for New Testament Christians, the system of the New Testament is very drastically different from the Old Testament system. That the basis, that who God is and what God expects is always the same. I think often that gets lost. When we think about the old commandments or the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, the agreement between God and the Jewish people, that the Jewish people would represent God to the world, and we need to remember that. The error was their arrogance in that we're the chosen people, therefore we're special and no one else has a chance. When they built the temple, there was a place for people who were not the chosen people. There was a court where us Gentiles could go. The word of God was for all the world, but there was a special, special people chosen to present that. And the reward was a different relationship with God. We have the newer Testament or the New Testament, and God has, in his wisdom, decided there's a different way. Of course, we add Jesus to that, which was God's plan from the beginning, but it said that all people will be my representatives all around the world. But still, even though God changed the setup of his agreement from being done through a temple system, a system in which you are constantly sacrificing animals to the sacrifice of one man, the basis for God's actions were all the same, which means the basis for what we need to do is also the same. But to truly understand this confusing new commandment, old commandment, I give you a new one, but it's an old one, Why don't we try and understand what the commandment is? So let's read on further in 1 John. 1 John 2 9 through 11. Anyone who claims to be in the light, or sorry, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light, and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around the darkness. He does not know where he is going because he is in the darkness and the darkness has blinded him. We know the command. The command is about loving your brother or your sister. That is a command that goes throughout the Bible. I think we often think of God as the mean, angry God who suddenly had a personality transformation in the New Testament when he became loving. But that is not true. And then when we move on, if God is loving and we are to be holy as God is holy, we are to be loving as well. We need to remember that there is a command to be loving that goes all the way back to the Old Testament. But Jesus made a comment. Jesus actually called loving one another a new command. So we know we're in the the book of 1 John, which is a letter to Christians written by John. But John was also somewhat of a historian, where he wrote down the things he saw, heard, and experienced with Jesus, and the words of Jesus. So the book of John, not to be confused with 1 John, actually records Jesus' life, Jesus' words. And here are some words we need to hear. In John... Chapter 13, verses 34 through 35, Jesus says this, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Even Jesus calls it a new command. And yet, when John is writing, he adds this idea, but it's really an old command. Well, let's look how this is new. Let's try and understand, during Jewish culture, during the times of the phariseutical orders, the religious guys who made all these rules, there was not a lot of love. I think we are showing this through the parable of the Good Samaritan. There's an example of what it had become. There were rules on rules on rules that actually allowed those who were in the religious orders to be exempt almost from loving. Their behaviors were, we're the elite, we're the upper class, we simply need to exist because we're perfect, we're fine, and we're okay. For you and I, who wouldn't be in that group, we'd be burdened with incredible amounts of things to do. But for them, love was not even part of the equation. Think of the good Samaritan, think of the story. You have a Jewish person who is beaten up and left for dead. Now, in a world in which people were, we think we have racism now. Everything was divided by who you belong to. The Romans or the uncircumcised, any of the Gentiles of that time from that area, belonged to a certain organization or group that stood above everybody. But then within Judaism, there was a class system. But the one thing that was true is it was the Jews who were occupied by the Romans. So there was definitely a system of the Jews need to stick together because we have been occupied. And yet the good Samaritan tells us this Jewish guy in the ditch who's dying there, what happens? The religious leaders, the fellow Jews, his countrymen, leave him in the ditch and walk by him and ignore him. But a person who is a Samaritan, let's understand this, this is a half-breed, a mixed-breed, an unholy, unclean person to the Jews because they were not purely a Jew. They had intermarried, comes by and stops and lends aid and shows love. I would say, although the idea of love is old, it's from the beginning, it's God's plan, that this would have been a new commandment that you love one another, that those who are involved in this faith must be loving people. And the Good Samaritan shows us how unloving they had become even to one another. Who was going to lend help to this poor guy dying there? Well, his own people weren't. So when Jesus calls it a new commandment, it is going to be new to them because their religion had become just that, a religion, a system of getting closer to God as though somehow God could be bought by someone else's attempt to look good. Their system also was designed around making people look good to other people. It really wasn't a lot about going into God's presence. I think about Jesus telling about the the Pharisee at the front of the gathering praying, and and then the the poor guy at the back there, the tax collector, who's going, I am not worthy. And what was the Pharisee's prayer? I'm glad I'm not like him. What a window into the unloving system that had developed This wasn't, I want to lift my brother up. I want this person to understand the God I understand. It was, I'm glad I'm not a mess like him. But look at me, I'm awesome. So to say to love one another would be a new command, but it was also an old command. One of what I would say the most well-known verses is John 3.16. But the second set of verses would be from Matthew 22.37-40. This is what Jesus said. Someone asks him, what is the greatest command? Jesus kind of makes me laugh. What is the greatest command Jesus gives to? That shows you how important these are. Jesus asked one question, but Jesus gave us what we need to know. He gave us the foundation to everything that is Christianity. He said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. The problem with memorizing verses is often they go through our heads, out our mouths, but never through our thought process. They become something to memorize. They're no different than memorizing a poem for English class Shakespearean. Think about what said. Everything hangs on these two things. Everything exists because of these two things, that we love God and we love one another. Now, in case you're wondering, well, you said it was an old command, and yet you just quoted Jesus in the new covenant or the new commandments. Jesus is actually quoting the commands from the Old Testament. The first one is Deuteronomy 6, uh, verse 5, which is love God with all you are, I'm summarizing. And Leviticus 19, 18 is the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything we do as followers of Christ and everything the Jews were supposed to do was to be seen through the lens of loving one another, but that's not what it had become. And may I suggest as we go further into the sermon, we'll realize maybe we've gotten far off from that too. That love is not the way we view everything. When you read scripture, every command from God comes out of our need to love him and love one another. When God says, do this for me, it is out of love for God. When God says, do this for your fellow mankind, it's do it out of love for them. But do we operate out of love? Are we actually focused on love? Everything in the Bible, when you pick it up, must be understood through the lens of love. But the Old Testament people had understood it through the lens of rules, Through the lens of if you do this, God will like you. If you do that, God will like you. Not if you love God, you will desire to serve him, to please him. We talked about this last week a bit. If I love my wife, I do what she needs. I don't do something just to prove my worth. It's not about me. It's about serving her needs. If we love, we follow God's commands. Not we follow God's commands to get God's love. It is offered for the taking. But to actually take him up on it, we need to follow him. Jesus is our Lord, our Savior, and the one we follow. Not the one we're trying to earn, but the one we're trying to rejoice with and live with. Let's get back to 1 John 2. The command was both old and new. Now let's understand something. John was a Jew. John understood. I think we miss this too. We come to church on Sundays. We get a little bit for 20 minutes to a half an hour of preaching if I'm good. 40 minutes if I get out of control. I drove a long way. You never know what's going to happen today. Anyway, we get a certain amount of time. And then maybe we have a small group throwing a little bit. Then we read our quick devotionals in the morning. The Jews would have been immersed in their history and their culture remembering that the Jewish people were a nation, they were a culture, and they were a faith system. It was all in one. We're we're Canadians. That does not make us Christian, right? And we're all different nationalities. We're a wide range. We're United Nations probably here of countries. That is not our faith based on where we come from in our country. For the Jews, there would have been a faith system, no matter how perverted from what God expected it to be, it was also a nationality. So they were immersed in this schooling. I remember I went to school with, with kids that were Jewish and they all went to Hebrew school on Saturday. Most of those people wouldn't follow a law inside of actually the Old Testament, but they learned Hebrew because that was a rule. They were to be immersed in their culture. They showed up at the right time at the synagogue, or the wouldn't be synagogues, the temple, I guess they call it now, what do they call it? The local, the local gathering place. They would get together, and they would go for the certain services, the ones kind of like Christmas and Easter to us, and they would learn their history. So John would be immersed in the idea that there's an old command. He would know what this said, because it came from Deuteronomy, and it came from Leviticus. He knew, but he also knew Jesus. He didn't just go to some presentation of his religion. He was at the feet of the Son of God. And he gave these commands. But as we said last week, Jesus didn't just give commands. He lived them. He walked them. He, every step of his life, was loving. He, every step of his life, did what he asked us to do. So when John says, I give you a new and an old command, he says, I know the the old command because I've been taught it. And I know the new command because I have lived beside that command in action. Jesus was love in the flesh. God is love. Jesus was God. God is perfect. Jesus was God and perfect. And God's character is one of love. So it's important to understand these come together. But here's my problem. We have the pharmaceutical, the religious order that had taken love out of it and made a bunch of rules to make that the faith system. I'm going to challenge you this morning, and you don't have to agree with me, that's not why I'm up here, but I want you to take a thought back. Think about what the vision and the goals of the church had become in the last five years. What were we? How did we tell we were Christians? What was the marker of a successful collective of Christ followers, a church? in an age of superstar preachers, in an age where numbers in the pews, where building projects and budgets and large staffs become the determination if we're living out the gospel, would John's letter stand up? John said to love our brothers and sisters. Was that the vision? Let me challenge you to think, is that the vision in the culture in the North American church? Or would John also write us and say, I give you a new commandment because it's really an old commandment. It's right there in the Bible, but you've lost it because love's not the marker of a great church. It's numbers, it's attendance, it's butts in the seats and dollars in the offering plate or in COVID coming online, but it's money in the bank. Is that what describes Christianity? Because Jesus said, you will know You will be known as my disciples if you love one another. As a matter of fact, some people estimate a lot of the churches that we read about when Paul writes his letters as being a maximum of 40 people in different locations. They didn't have a building where they all got together with 5,000 people, and that was a sign of Christianity. The disciples were known of Christ for their willingness to love each other, support each other, and love their neighbors as themselves. The marker of being a Christian is love. If you walk in the light, you love. But if you walk in the dark, you stumble, and you don't even recognize what love is. As we're trying to understand what God is calling us to do at Grace Community Church, let me give you the first step because it applies to every church. It doesn't matter your history. Your history tells you what you may need to address, but every church is called to love to love one another and then love their neighbors. And I separate them because I think we need to learn to love one another better before we even try to love those that don't even have close opinion to ours. Now, that's kind of theologically bad because you can't sit here and work on this and not love your neighbor. But if we could even get it right here where we agree with each other, for the most part, we are here because we follow Jesus Christ. We believe he died and rose from the dead. Can we at least try and love one another? And then let's get out there and love our neighbors. Problem is, is that maybe we actually have the wrong markers and measurements. So we don't even know if we love. Maybe we are the most loving church in the world, but we wouldn't measure that or try. Why would we? Because there's some empty seats in here. Because we're not getting hits online. Isn't that what being a Christian is about and a Christ follower? No, it's not. As a matter of fact, true love can actually lead to minus people in your church. True love tells the truth. True love is more worried that your neighbor goes to heaven than how much your neighbor thinks you're popular and likable. When you tell the truth in love, you will lose friends sometimes. All the metrics and measurements in the world, when they are applied, actually can't be applied to love. Love can be a negative metric, a loss of friends. But love still does what is right. You want to talk about stumbling blocks in the dark. Some of the LB knows this. I had to come to a meeting on Thursday night here, and everybody knows what Thursday night was like. But I left around 4.45, so it was just a little bit of snow and rain. I left with lots of time, and I got here right on time at 7. Now, it's an hour and 40-minute drive. It took me two hours and 15, but that's okay, I love driving in the snow. I made that comment, I made it to Cheryl, I said, oh, she goes, terrible drive home for you. No, it's snow, I love driving in it. Well, the drive home was a little worse. Um, I'm driving along, and I don't even remember what road it was because I have no idea where I was. Driving along, and there's headlights just to my right of me. Now, headlights should be to the left of you here in Canada. I was so off track, I thought I was in England. Anyway, there's right lights over here. And then there's a police car, and I'm trying to figure out where the road is. For you guys who live around here, you may have a feel for that. For me, every bend is in the wrong place when it snows. I have no idea. Anyway, I drove. I made all the corners right. My wife's talking to me on the phone. She didn't want me to fall asleep. And it says an hour and 40 minutes when I left here. And, of course, it goes up a bit because there's snow. But then I'm driving along, and suddenly I realize I've done probably an hour's drive, maybe a little less, and it's still saying an hour and 36 minutes on my GPS. I'm just lucky I didn't end up in one of the territories. I just kept going north and missed the corner to go into Orangeville. I had a GPS. I had directions of where to go, and yet it was dark and snowing, and even though it told me to go one way, I missed that corner. And of course, I didn't notice it was correcting it, so I just kept following this line, and if I had to miss the next cornea, I would have just kept going. I got home at 2 o'clock at night, safe. Uh, no longer saying I love driving in this weather. I also said that I love talking to my wife on the phone. I think she was sick of me, and I was kind of sick of talking to her because all I kept saying is, I'm lost, I'm lost, and she can do nothing about it. I got home, but I want you to see the metaphor in that. I had a GPS. I had a guide. We have the Bible And yet, without the ability to see where we are and what's going on, we can have all the instructions we want, we can still stumble in the darkness. The Word of God is designed to bring light. It itself is not light until we learn to love. Do we look at this book through the lens of love? We are lost just like I was lost, fighting through a snowstorm, through the darkness, because the instructions are not enough. Part of the instructions are everything, to love one another. That is the lens we need to look at everything through. I think the other thing is, although I don't have time to discuss it today, we need to understand what love is. You know the the different love verses in there? We always like love is patient, kind, and so on. But it doesn't say love is nice. Love talks about bearing things with one another, which means there must be some burdens. The Bible also said God disciplines those he loves. The Bible says that we are to pull the beam out of our own eye before we pull the speck out of someone else's. What do we quote that is? Don't say a word, just make sure you're all right. That's a very loving verse. Make sure you are so right with God that you can help your neighbor, love your neighbor enough to help them pull the speck out. But if you're in the darkness, if you're not loving, you won't even be able to see your own beam in your eye or log, let alone the speck in someone else's. Love is an activity that may cause you to lose friends, but it's an activity that desires that people get what they need, which is eternal life, because the alternative is not a very pleasant thought. Jesus' message I have yet to see have a positive influence on everyone who hears it. I know you're sitting here going, well, it's such a great message, why not? The Bible tells us, that it's foolishness to those who are perishing, that some will reject the message. Is it our job to change and weaken that message so our seats are full? Or do we love people enough to take a chance that we may not have enough people in the pews to support the church, but we'll have enough love to keep going anyway? Those verses that say, that if you don't love, you're stumbling in the darkness, or something maybe we need to think. Have we stumbled in the darkness because love was not what we were doing? This is not an individual commentary. I am sure as individuals we were still loving. But as a church, were we loving, or are we so taken aback about growth that we forgot to love? I often say, we tell people, become a Christian, you'll be loved and cared for. We get them in the doors of the church and tell them, now that you're Christian, it's not about you. Get out there and get more people in. It sounds like a horrible pyramid scheme. If we're going to say you're going to be loved, and as soon as they join us, we're not loving them, enough to correct them when they're wrong, out of love, but also to come alongside when they're hurting, then what have we done? We have lied. We are the worst marketing group ever. You know, the difference between marketing and Christianity and marketing in real life is when someone buys a product, they're stuck with it. In Christianity, you're stuck with them. If they buy into following Jesus Christ, they don't leave the store, they actually come and live in it. We are not preaching a gospel of love until we get people hooked on it. It's not a drug, it's a lifestyle. And in case you're sitting here saying, well, what are you talking about? This love sounds like it's a horrible thing. It sounds like it's a bad thing. Let me ask you this. When Jesus told the truth in love to the world, what did it get him? Death. What did it get us? Life. Are we to live and walk like Jesus? Are we to love our brothers and sisters? Then we need to accept that when you love, you tell the truth. And when you tell the truth in love, not angry, venom-spitting behaviors, but in love, sometimes you won't be loved back. We're in a transition. If the first step we make is say, who's in the church doesn't matter, who we choose to love matters most, and it should be everyone the seats actually probably will end up more full. But not with people who have heard a weakened gospel message, but with people that desire to walk together in the light and become deeper and deeper in Christ. The church in North America is shrinking, and my belief is because we've marketed them something, we've not loved them. And we stumble in the darkness because we're blinded by the evil of the show when God wants us to be in the light of love. Now, it's great up here telling you that. I think we can all admit we'll fail at this. We're never loving enough. What's the measurement for love? It's the fact that every time you've loved enough, you realize you can love more through the power of God. That's the measurement we need. Love one another. Love is of God. Everyone Who loves is born of God and knows God. We're not even there yet. We're going to be going through that. God is love. Be like God and love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, a message that I don't understand in the sense that we're told we can't measure how deep, how wide, how high your love is. And yet we're asked to love in the same way. Help me, Lord, to love. Help us to make our culture one of love. Help us to look at people missing in those chairs as people who have not been brought to you, not people to be brought into our church. Help us to count the numbers that are being rejoiced over in heaven rather than the numbers in our bank account. Help us to care about eternity more than our own position and our own status in the community. Help us to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You loved, even if it could have cost you your life. In your name we pray, amen.